and gone away with her with my future my life is filled with gloom so day after day i see locked up in my room i know to you might sound strange but i wish it would rain That is The Temptations, I Wish It Would Rain, and you are listening to CJMP News. A little bit of irony there. Thank you, Temptations. <laughs> and thank you, Peter, for picking that song today. And I'm here with Peter Harvey. I'm Carrie Swiggum, and we've got an hour for you. Hello, Paul River. Hello. And we are going to be talking about rain, but also the climate um, and um, the oceans and uh, how we're adapting to that. Now, talked to a few people this <laughs> week, and... This is going to be an action-packed show, so if you are tuned in uh, your desk at work, uh, make sure to keep staying tuned in. And you might have noticed we didn't use the usual theme music today. With the Morse code, beep, 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 that yes. is really apparently CJMP is what the dots and dashes mean. Yes, uh, one of our um, production interns over the summer made that. Uh, it says CJMP News, but both Peter and I agreed that it gives us a bit of a panic attack every time it comes fits, on. Fits of panic as soon as we hear that. <laughs> oh, it's time. So we're, anyways, we're going to keep it cool and casual. And um, so anyways, Peter, you know, I thank you so much for doing the show uh, on a regular basis. I feel like we're friends. Oh, well, so do I, And Carrie. I can, so I can tell I. you anything. <laughs> and me too, and I have. <laughs> but uh, right now, you might know, uh, since we were just talking about this, um, we've got a lot coming up, as I said. Uh, we're talking to a climate scientist from UVic who uh, is um, working with local government agencies on how to adapt to climate change. And then we're also talking to Julia Dykstra, who's from the regional district. Uh, and she's going to tell us about a Green Shores program for homes that is actually adapting uh, an adaption measure for climate change here in Powell River and the region. And then Claudia Medina, local filmmaker who yes. recently was in Papua New Guinea, um, documenting climate change effects there. And then finally, uh, we're going to have a live performer come in, Bob Mills, who is on his way from Texada as I, we speak. I can see the ferry. It's, it's running. So the ferries are running, except... That ferry is running. The Texada ferry is running, but the Queen of Burnaby is holding fast over at Little River and probably won't be running until the winds calm down a bit. Okay. Did you just check out the website? And... No, I just looked out the window. Oh. No, no. <laughs> I, I did. I, I looked at the, sh the ship tracker so I can see the Queen of Burnaby is still over in Little River and not oh. on its way back here. So definitely check out the schedule if you're traveling today because yes. it's windy. Especially to the island because it probably won't happen, okay. or at least not anytime really soon. Do you have the weather pulled up right now? Actually, I don't. But you know what? You don't have to be a, a meteorologist <laughs> to look out the window and go, the weather currently is crappy. <laughs> well, in, in November, uh, we know that it was also quite rainy. and Yes, uh, but surprisingly, November wasn't a record for the rainiest month, but it is does hold a record for the warmest okay. November. Okay, and with the pipeline decision that Trudeau announced this week, um, this is a, a prescient uh, conversation that we're having today. Ooh, that's a good word. Thank you. <laughs> Earlier this week, there was a Committee of the Whole meeting at City Hall, along with a council meeting last night, uh, as usual, and um, I, I took a picture of the people who were there on Tuesday and told um, Facebook anyways that it would update people on why there were mm -hmm. so many people there because it was packed um, and we're going to talk about more of that next week too 
but uh, just briefly, um, basically there was a couple delegations with people who are, were supporting them. One was from Terry Cram, who is the owner of TFIT. Which is right next to the library. The library. Or the, the new library. Yes, and that's still, uh, well, it's in construction phase now. There's yeah. a permit. Um, but it's been a few months behind now, and she's seeking yeah. compensation from the city for the disruptions to her business, because I know she's been moved around quite a bit in the last few months. Uh, so there was a few people supporting her on that, and it sounds like they were going to give the rec- or give this decision to staff to look over um she's requesting twelve thousand dollars from the city over the last uh Mm. six months i believe and um another delegation that was there was from the farmers institute and basically uh talking about the incubator farm project uh they say they weren't consulted with this um when the city put this idea forward to the agricultural land commission um, so this, there was a letter submitted by Alan Rabain, who is the president of the Powell River Farmers Institute. And I'm just going to quote from the letter. It says, during the general meeting on uh, November 14th of the Farmers Institute, it was brought to our attention that our organization has endorsed the city's incubator farm business development plan. This is not true. We have not endorsed the plan, nor has our organization had the opportunity to comment or review a business development plan for an incubator farm. And they had, seems like a few supporters there as well. And the incubator farms are what exactly? Well, from what I understand, it is a place for people, generally younger people, I think it's directed at a young age group, to come and learn about farming um, locally. And from there, I'm not sure. But anyways, uh, the person who spoke in council, Robert Gilchrist, was saying that um, they haven't been consulted and this is a competition for the local farms who are already struggling to make uh, a good living here. Good points. I hadn't thought about that. So we'll be talking to Robert next week, actually, and more about that. So that's a bit of City Council news. And um, Peter, you were at City Council last night. Anything of interest? I was. uh, It was actually a fairly quiet uh, City Council, and it took about half an hour. It was mostly just half an hour. Yeah, well, that's unheard of. Yeah, the Tuesday meeting was, I think, four or five hours long. And I, I left at the intermission, actually, after three hours. Well, a lot of things are hammered out during Committee of the Whole, I think, and then just kind of read for a second and third time at City Council and approved. Okay. Okay. Well, um, if there was anything of interest, we'll make sure to follow up Air- next Airport week. improvement fee is going up $2. Oh, okay. Well. It's for a good cause. The airport. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to play a piece of music, and when we come back, uh, we will update you on a little bit of the weather and uh, talk with Trevor Murdoch from the Pacific Climate Impacts Consortium.
track is called Creepin'. It's by MK2. And we are back. I'm going to give you a couple of community announcements coming up because there's always so many things to do in Powell River. I don't know about you, Peter, but I find it hard to just take some time and recharge during the week. It's hard to find any space on our social calendars, isn't it? Yes. Well, um, coming up, let's see. All December is a gingerbread contest at the Town Center Hotel. That's kind of cool. <laughs> Especially if you get to eat the uh, the entries. Oh, wait. And if you are interested, you got to go quick because you have to submit your gingerbread entry by Saturday, December 3rd, which if you're listening to Friday live broadcast, that is tomorrow. If you're listening to the rebroadcast. Then it's today. Then it's Saturday. <laughs> Then it's today. <laughs> you better get cracking. Uh, there's also, if you're in the Christmas mood, Edge Hill Christmas Carnival, Friday, December 2nd, starts at 5, and that's at the Edge Hill Elementary School. And then, um, let's see, we've got, wow, it's, it's only December 2nd. There's already four different Christmas events going on this weekend. What does it mean? It means Christmas is coming. It means there's 23 <laughs> shopping days <laughs> left like until Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> there's a... Um, an interesting artsy thing going on at the library, the Gift of the Letterpress Workshop. Uh, two separate groups are invited to come, this Friday, December 2nd and Saturday, December 3rd, and it's free. Uh, it's from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. And the location is actually to be announced, which maybe by the time of this writing of the community announcement, we didn't know, but um, they say it might be the Cranberry neighborhood. I think that's pretty cool that it's got to figure out where it is. So if you're curious, like me, and me. And Peter. That's why we're here. Curious. We're all curious. We're very curious. Um, go check that out. If you actually want concrete information, you can call the library at 604-485-8664 or email M-M-E-R-L-I-N-O, M-M-Merlino with an extra M, at paulriverlibrary.ca. And yes, I have in my hot little hands here the Paul River SBCA Fall Raffle. Mm-hmm. And we'll be doing the draw next Friday live on this show. Some of the prizes look pretty good. Like the first prize, there actually there are eight prizes altogether, but the first prize is one week stay for four at the Savory Island Retreat, plus a round trip on the water taxi to get there. Wait, wait. And how do you how do you get into this draw? Did you say? You can buy well. You buy tickets. Okay. Make great uh, Christmas gifts too. The tickets are five dollars each, or you can get three for ten bucks. And you can get them, not surprisingly, at the Paul River SPCA or at the Lund Post Office, the Lund Water Taxi, Mother Nature, Pet Value, the Paul River Vet Host- Hospital, and the Rod May Hotel. Wow, neat. So th- that's one prize. Can you list off some more? Sorry, I interrupted I can, you before. Sure. The second prize is a round-trip airfare for two from Paul River to Vancouver, what? courtesy of Pacific Coastal Airlines, plus one night's accommodation for two at Accent Inns in Burnaby or Vancouver. Uh, third prize oh. is two nights accommodation for two at a deluxe studio suite at the Western Resort and Spa, and that's in Whistler. Oh my word! So sounds like yes. a raffle. Some great prizes could be your um, ticket to going somewhere this winter. And it's all for a great cause too, as the the SBCA is uh, near and dear to my heart, as it is to my parents who may or may not be listening right now. Oh, okay. Hi, Mr. Mrs. Harvey. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so getting into the show, we've got some pretty interesting interviews. Um, I did them all, so I know exactly exactly what was said. No wonder you don't have any room on your social calendar. (laughs) Um, But 
Yes, anyways, uh, if you're interested in doing interviews, you certainly can. Um, I just like talking to people so much. Um, anyways, and the first person I, I talked to this week was Trevor Murdoch. He currently leads the Regional Climate Impacts theme at the Pacific Climate Impacts Consortium, at, and that's run out of the University of Victoria. And I'm going to read his bio from the website that they have. Uh, for the past 15 years, he has worked on applications of climate research to assist decision-making and planning. Trevor's work has focused on climate scenarios and online mapping tools, downscaling to high-resolution analysis of historical climate data, and improvement of seasonal climate predictions. And current interests include use of climate projections at the community level, impacts of climate change on biodiversity, and an analysis of results from regional climate models and other forms of downscaling. So he knows his stuff. I should say. Yes. Um, it, it was an enlightening interview, so... Um, We'll play that for you and be back after this. Yeah, my name is Trevor Murdoch. I'm a climate scientist with the Pacific Climate Impacts Consortium. And the, the work that I do uh, is uh, working with uh, people in communities, so planners, uh, also engineers, a lot of folks in the province, uh, foresters, anyone who is trying to, uh, anyone whose work is affected by uh, changing climate conditions over the next few decades. So if you want to decide what tree species to plant and take future climate conditions into account, if, uh, if you're constructing a building and you want to take into account the changing heating and cooling load, things like that. So, um, and so the, the theme that I, the work that I do, it's not so much data collection, it's more, uh, we use computer simulations of the future climate. Uh, and so these, these are really global climate models. And so what I do a lot of uh, work on is downscaling those to uh, the sort of technical term we use, downscaling them to a, um, just to higher resolution so that they're more locally relevant. And so there's a relationship there. We do make use of historical data uh, when we do that step. But the actual computer simulations of, of the global climate system itself don't really depend on the observations. Those are, those are run independent of, of that. Okay. W would you say that you're kind of interpreting data for policymakers then? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Can we take a step back and uh, just can you let me know um, what are you seeing for this area? If you're looking at, if you take a global projection and, and focus on a region, um, for this region, what, what are we seeing in terms of how we are adapting or needing to adapt for climate change? Yeah, so in terms of the, the future projections for the area, um, you can go to... Uh, plan to adaptca that's one of the, the tools that we run, and you can pick out the, the Powell, River, Powell River Regional Districts that, there. And if you, if you go there, you'll see uh, future projections of a couple of degrees of warming by the middle of the century, which doesn't sound like a big deal. You know, it's probably several degrees warmer in your office than it is outside right now, so mm -hmm. what, what, you know, who cares about a couple of degrees of warming? But um, the reason that, that matters is if you think about sort of an annual average uh, and for a region as a whole, uh, if you actually look at how that varies year to year, because you, 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 when you're averaging over a whole year, um, you can have quite anomalous conditions that are then just averaged out later on, right? So, so when, a when a year is a degree warmer than normal, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but it actually takes quite a bit to make a whole year a degree warmer than normal. And so if you look at the year-to-year -year variability over the last century or so, um, you see that the really, like the warmest of the warm years are only a couple of degrees warmer than the coldest of the cold years. So if you are bumping that whole thing up by a couple of degrees, that actually is quite a big, a big deal. So if you imagine that, you know, the, the extreme warm years we're having now, like the 2015 was, was quite a warm year, 
2016 was another quite warm year. If that becomes the new normal, and then the warm years are warmer than that, or if that even becomes the new cold, uh, and then the, the normal is warmer than that, and the warmer is even warmer than that, that is quite uh, quite a big. It's kind of hard to wrap your mind around a couple of degrees meaning meaning such such a big increase. Uh, so, I mean, what, what people are usually really interested in is how does that translate into impacts on tree species or wildfire or agriculture. Uh, and you can see so that, that kind of work does usually take a lot more work. Um, you can get a little bit of a sense of that from, from this, uh, the tool that I mentioned, Plan to Adapt. It does give you the, an increase in growing degree days, for example, and you, know, you can see the, the actual numbers there, um, and a decrease in heating degree days. So, uh, you know, you will be looking at changing crops, um, uh, that could grow in Powell River in the future that couldn't grow there now, uh, less demand for, for heating in winter. Uh, in terms of another sort of agriculture-related one, is about three to four weeks fewer days with frost um, by the middle of the century than now. So you can see that's, that's a fairly big change from, from, from current. And how confident are you that, I mean, I've heard people say that the, the planet's warming, um, the, it's going up incrementally, you know, although, you, you know, you mentioned that it's small changes, but they are big changes overall. Mm-hmm. Um, how confident are the scientists that we will be a certain degree um, and by the mid-century, like you, like you said? Um, is there any doubt that we won't get there? Or are we no, so there's, there's a lot of confidence in the sort of order of magnitude, that we're talking about something like a couple of degrees by the middle of the century. And, and that actually does, the biggest thing that the, that the climate change in the long term, like by the end of the century, the biggest thing it really depends on is how much greenhouse gases we emit and how, you know, whether we can reduce our greenhouse gas emissions, you know, following the sort of Paris agreement uh, last year, or, or whether we stay on a sort of business as usual track. But, but actually by the middle of the century for this kind of planning and adapting to climate change, uh, there's just not really enough time between now and then for our differences in emissions to, to make much of an effect. So, so these sort of numbers that I'm telling you for the middle of the century, uh, the, very, the nitty-gritty details will be affected. Of, you know, is it exactly, are we talking 2 degrees or 1.8 degrees? You know, that, that, you know, that level of precision will, will depend on how much greenhouse gases we emit. But, but the sort of order of magnitude, is uh, that, that's very certain. It's, it's the details where... where uh, more uncertainty creeps in. Okay, there's no doubt that we are warming. No, no. Um, does the um, the uh, pipeline expansion um, news have any effect on the work that you do? Uh, so the the way the way that it works is when we run these climate model simulations, you make assumptions ahead of time about how much greenhouse gases people will emit, and you sort of split them into scenarios. So right now we tend to work with a business as usual scenario, another scenario that's. Uh, about half, you know, if we can cut our emissions by half of the business as usual. And then another sort of really optimistic scenario where we're, we're getting to zero net emissions by the middle of the century. Uh, and actually beyond that, we're actually pulling carbon out of the atmosphere. And so, so the climate mo- you can run the climate model following those three scenarios. Uh, and then the kind of policy question you raised, that the, the, what that would affect is, which scenario you're going to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't really change the, the climate modeling part of it. Uh, but like I say, towards the middle of the century, less in effect. What we're really talking about in terms of you know, the, the policy decisions and the long-term effects of how much greenhouse gases we use, that's going to affect where we're at by the end of the century. That, that, that's enough time for those differences to, to, really, uh, to really take effect. So if we're looking at like maybe cutting the emissions by half and going with that model, mm-hmm. um, practically what does that look like on a day-to-day basis for our lives? 
Uh, that's a good question. So it's uh, that's that's I mean that's the sixty-four million dollar question, right? And so um, it's a lot of work. What you're talking uh, to answer that question uh, really requires what's called adaptation. So um, and this adaptation process is this. The thing is that most planning, most decision-making, most policy, that it, we have baked in an assumption that climate is static. And so unpacking uh, in all of these different aspects of your life. So one example is your water supply, uh, where your water supply comes from, and the, the planning around the watershed and how we get our water. You know, when you start to unpack, okay, we can no longer just assume that the climate's the same here. How do we, how do we deal with that? Uh, it's not something that you can just... Uh, you know, if I ask if uh, whoever's responsible for the water supply there has this kind of conversation with me, they're not going to be able to go away the next day and just know what to do. It's going to take take quite a bit of work. Um, and so these things usually take like a year to run an adaptation process. And even then, they're very iterative. So you can, you can use information like what's on plan to adapt, um, start to do some thinking about, about unpacking uh, the assumption that climate is static and start moving towards, okay, let's actually take the future climate into account. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's a fair bit of work. It's, it's, it's very iterative. It's a little daunting. But uh, the good thing about this iterative nature is that um, it, there's no reason not to get started. Uh, and, and so you, you, you can start thinking about it. And, you know, like I mentioned, for the water supply, I understand you guys use uh, is there a lake is the water supply yep. there, so that's your reservoir. Has some lake, yep. And it, I'm assuming it depends on snowpack, right? So if you had a year with no snow, would the reservoir be big enough, or do you really you really depend on? Uh, I assume that you have a similar situation in Metro Vancouver, where um, you know the reservoir fills up in the fall and you start using it, it starts going down, but then in the spring, snow starts melting and refills the reservoir. Is that how it works? I'm not exactly sure. Um, it probably, yeah. just, just based on the climate, uh, that's probably what, that's usually how it works, right? Like, why would you build yeah. a bigger reservoir than you need? Okay. Uh, it's going to cost money. So usually in a place where there's enough snow um, for the watershed to be, to be designed that way, that's, that's how we usually design things. And in a static climate, that's fine. Uh, but by the middle of the century, we're looking at uh, Powell River being a place where you rarely get any snow, uh, even even at some of the higher elevations. And so, so that means the water supply, the reservoir would need to be bigger uh, to be able to accommodate that. And that's not that's not something you can just do overnight, right? So, um, do you make appeals to um, regional districts or municipalities to start thinking about this now, or um, when do you come in? Do they request a consultation, or how, how do you work with uh, groups like this? It's really demand-driven, so we're not in the in the business of, of really making policy recommendations or mm -hmm. anything like that. What our our job is really just to help people understand what the future climate will be like. And to, and to try to provide that information in as relevant a form as possible um, to, to help make that decision make, you know, to help do the, the decision making. So, but the, the actual, you know, what are the management implications for a regional district or for any kind of planning authority? That's really, those are our users or the people, uh, the people I work with are the people whose job it is to figure out, uh, you know, what the policy responses are. Mm -hmm. So I understand that you don't collect the data um, that you um, up, um, analyze, but um, do you have um, do you have an idea of I guess is the you know if the ocean were rising, which it sounds like it is, yep. um, 
like how what a difference it has been over the last century um, on the coast here? Is it has it changed uh, dramatically enough for us to make observations yet? Uh, so I'm not super familiar. I work more mostly uh, in with temperature and precipitation, oh, okay. and then things you can derive from that. Uh, in in terms of sea level rise, uh, sea level rise is also something that varies wherever you are on the coast, right, because there's local geological effects, um, you know, there's still there's plate tectonic things to deal with, there's, there's uplift um, still from, from glaciers retreating, retreating. so uh, there are some places on the coast where, I don't think Powell River is one of them, but there are some places like Tofino Uculet where the, uh, the glacial rebound almost compensates or maybe even exactly compensates for the sea level rise so far, uh, but that won't be the case going forward in future. Uh, I did take a look before, uh, and it looks like we're for Powell River. It's, you know, the the numbers are something on the order of a, a meter of sea level rise by the end of the century. Um, those numbers are a little bit on the low side. The the science around sea level rise is, is one of the ones that evolves is evolving the most rapidly mm-hmm. um, because it depends on some of the some of the most uncertain aspects of the climate system, like how fast Greenland ice will melt, how how fast uh, Antarctic ice sheets will melt, and um, and our understanding of those, also things like uh, how much uh, peat moss there is in northern latitudes to to uh, start pump as it warms to have this reinforcement effect where it releases methane. So all of those kind of things will will affect sea level rise quite a bit. Um, so so we're looking at a meter, but keeping in mind by the end of the century, keeping in mind that's sort of on the low side. The thing with sea level rise, though, is although that part is fairly gradual, the sort of the total sea level, the impacts of sea level rise will be felt first with storms, right? So it's, um, you, you have the sea level rise, um, but storm surges will, uh, will just start to become more and more frequent. And so it's those, those extreme storms. And there's a lot of the, a lot of the impacts that, that people are concerned with when we do these adaptation processes are those extreme events. Uh, one thing I didn't mention when, when you asked about what the future projections are is precipitation. So precipitation projections for the area are pretty modest, um, you know, like 5% increase in winter precipitation or wet season precipitation. That's, that's pretty modest. Um, uh, decrease in summer precipitation. But, that's, mm-hmm. uh, but associated with that, like, modest increase in wet season precipitation, the extremes, uh, typically we have... Uh, and I don't have an exact number for Powell River, but in other areas where we have numbers like five degrees, or sorry, five percent uh, small increase in the wet season as a whole, mm-hmm. we often have something like thirty percent increases in the one in twenty year storm, um, and so there's some relatively much larger increases in those extreme events, and you'll see those through things like Pineapple Express, you know, these sort of wet events that we get in in the winter, those coming more frequently and mm-hmm. and becoming stronger. And that was Trevor Murdoch. He is a researcher at the Pacific Climate Impact Consortium, and he is the lead on the regional climate impact team. If anyone from the planning department wants to educate me on how the Haslam Lake Reservoir works, they can, because that came up in our conversation. I didn't know what to say. So, um, I also heard him say that it rarely snows in Powell River, which is, is true, but one of those rare events looks like it's heading our way for Monday. Okay. And we're looking at maybe having a, a few flurries. But Sunday sounds like it's going to be a sunny day, if a little cool. So if you have anything planned to do outside, like go for a hike or something, Sunday would be the day. I was actually going to plant some plants. 
<laughs> really? Yeah. Well, I've got a friend who said that she's growing arugula right now, and it's coming up. Well, that's true, and kale and stuff like that grows kind of all year round. But we also uh, we have a wind warning in effect, not surprisingly. And fortunately, our uh, in-studio guest, who we'll be hearing from in another 15 minutes or so, uh, it was good of him to brave the elements to, to come over on the ferry from Texada. Oh, he's in the studio right now. it's windy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like we said, we'll be in touch in a little bit and we'll also be talking to Claudia Medina soon. Uh, but first, um, we also talked to uh, Julia Dykstra, who is a planner in the Regional District Planning Department. And we talked a bit about what they're doing to mitigate effects of climate change. I'm skipping all around, though, because first we're going to talk about the pipeline just very briefly. That was announced by the Liberal government that they approve of the projects, uh, two of the three projects that were proposed. Still doesn't mean that's going to go through for sure as there are groups organizing, as we probably speak, against yes, it. Yes, which have been all over the news. And um, and in Standing Rock, North Dakota, there are 2,000 veterans um, organizing there to um, help the protesters who've been standing there for months. Uh, so they're going to form a human wall. That's an incredible story. When you first told me that 2,000 veterans were going there, I thought it was to relieve like the National Guard and the Army and whoever was the law and order, supposedly. Here's a quote I'm reading. This is from USA Today. Uh, we want to offer them a moment of peace and, if we can, take a little bit of pressure off. And that was a Coast Guard veteran and spokesperson for the veteran stand for Standing Rock. And, uh, yeah, that will be from December 4th through the 7th. And uh, a, a symbolic gesture for sure yeah. but also probably very helpful for people who are have been there for a while very powerful in both senses mm-hmm. and um, there's also news from the national observer uh, that came out this week um, saying that scientists don't know what evidence trudeau used to approve the pipeline projects um, and here's another quote it said the problem is that some scientists say the evidence flies in the face of what trudeau called a safe project the West Coast Kinder Morgan pipeline expansion. In fact, they say there's very little published evidence in the scientific literature about bitumen to back up the prime minister's claims. And one of the most glaring gaps of evidence, the scientists say, is the absence of any significant research on the effects of spills of bitumen, which is the heavy oil of Alberta's oil sands industry, and that is expected to flow in the new pipelines and potentially well, into the, it says into the oceans, but I don't think they mean directly in. No. Um, um, but, you know, that is what happened recently up in Bella Bella. So yes. it does and happen. What, what a great job we did of, of stopping that right away. And that's sarcasm. Yes, that is definitely sarcasm. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's, it's on our minds. So um, there is a project in Paul River Regional District, as I mentioned, that is mitigating... Uh, effects of climate change and sea level rise. And I'm going to talk to uh, Julia Dykstra, but here is a video from the province. Uh, It's called Adapting to Climate Change. With climate change and sea level rise, a first reaction is to protect our shorelines from wave-driven erosion. Seawalls, or rock riprap, are hard armor approaches that have been common practice. Beach nourishment, combined with green shores, is an alternate soft armor approach that uses a gentle slope and combinations of sand and gravel to mimic a beach shoreline. It protects or reintroduces shoreline native trees and vegetation to provide habitat. It could work with shoreline natural processes to adjust to sea level rise and climate change. 
Okay, so I'll let you look at that video in your own time. It's called BC Adapts Coastal Flood Flood Management 5. And um, so this is basically the program that is being implemented here. And I'll get Julia to explain more. So we're here talking about the Green Shores program that the regional district is promoting. And it's been going on since 2014. But now uh, you guys are looking for a demonstration project, I understand. Yeah, that's right. So can you just explain what this is for people who might have no idea? Yeah, the Green Shores for Homes program is um, a joint effort that the Powell River Regional District is participating in with the Stewardship Centre for BC. And it promotes sustainable practices uh, along the area's shorelines and promotes soft shore approaches that mitigate coastal erosion and support climate change adaptation. In regards to the hard shoreline versus soft shoreline approach uh, includes uh, a more cost-effective measure for their shoreline over time. So the soft shore approach, once it goes in, whether that's boulders or putting in natural plantings or um, mimicking driftwood, the cost over the long run is um, going to be of, of a benefit to the property owner versus the pouring of the concrete and the hard shore approach and the, and the traditional uh, hard shoring that, that we've seen in the past. Okay. Um, so this is a very progressive, it sounds like, um, move from the regional district to help people um, stay green, I guess. That's right. Yeah, and I mean, this sound, also sounds like it's kind of just trying to reintroduce a shoreline that was naturally here that may have been developed and to put it back how it was, because that's just the easy way to do it. That's right. right? Uh, the regional district recognizes that the shorelines of this community are very important, and in order to move forward with any type of uh, coastal erosion or climate change, we may be able to encourage people to take a look at this approach and see if it works for them. Uh, and at the same time, you're right, restoring some of our shorelines to what they look like a couple decades ago. And if people want to get in touch, how do they contact you? Yeah, they can call us at the uh, regional district office, which is 604-485-2260. They can send us an email or they can visit us on our website. How long has the regional district been, I guess, preparing for climate change in this area and officially, you know? Right. Officially, 2014, uh, we partnered with the Stewardship Centre for BC uh, with the Green Shores program. Uh, we've been talking about climate change in our official community plans uh, since the mid-2000s, and we're looking to include... Green Shores for Homes approaches in our official community plan updates. Our most recent official community plan for Area A was adopted last December 2015 and includes a number of climate adaptation strategies, including the Green Shores for Homes. And we are looking to update the Texada Island official community plan in 2017. And we will look at the Green Shores approach for that official community plan as well.
Become an instant community radio hero. It's fast and easy and fun to be a sustaining member of CJMP. A sustaining membership helps support CJMP year-round. Think of it as buying us a cup of coffee and a sandwich every month. Your recurring $10 monthly donation is easy to set up by a transfer at First Credit Union, PayPal, or credit or debit card. Our sustaining membership drive continues all November long. All November long, long November. Go to cjmp.ca slash sustain and become a sustaining member today. Thanks. And thanks, Giovanni, uh, for jumping in, rabbit eye, as it were. Um, And thanks to Julia Dykstra for the interview. If you want to go to the website and check out uh, that program um, or, excuse me, Regional Solid Waste Management Plan, that survey is out right now until December, uh, I think it is 16th. Um, They're looking for input from community members, and so this will um, uh, help the regional district plan their next few years, I think. Good. Yes. Okay, and coming up next, uh, after our little break, we'll be talking to Claudia Medina, who's just back from Papua New I'm a nerd. 
was an oldie, but a goodie. A, a very oldie by Seals and Crofts, <laughs> who are probably better known for a song called Summer Breeze. Okay, I wasn't aware of that song. Thanks for bringing it to my attention. Hey, anytime. <laughs> <laughs> we have to appeal to all demographics here. All right, and now we've got a local filmmaker on the phone, Claudia Medina. Mm -hmm. And uh, Hello, Claudia. Are you there? I'm here. <laughs> Thanks for taking time out to talk with us today. I know you're working right now, so I really appreciate that. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. So you just came back from Papua New Guinea. So how was the rising water affecting life there? Well, I, where I was uh, invited to go was the um, autonomous region of Bougainville, which is an island as that's part officially a part of the Papua New Guinea kind of nation. However, it's, it's kind of more an outlying island. And um, the people that I was specifically going to visit were um, islanders that were from the Carteret Islands, that is off about 60 miles off the coast of this particular Bougainville Island. And so um, they have started a relocation program onto this bigger island um, as a result of the rising waters, um, sea level rise. And so they they had determined in the 80s that there was. Um, an increase in sea level rise and that they should be considering what options they had. What they weren't aware of is how fast that this would happen. Um, and the acceleration has been quite, um, quite a lot faster than anticipated. So the results have been um, in, in more intense king tides, as they call these intense tides that generally have a certain kind of cyclical time frame, but they're more intense and they've, they've caused more uh, damage to the islands, these atolls, we've as had, well as, uh-huh. Yeah, we've had some pretty serious king tides here, too, actually. Just yeah, so I, I think this is uh, definitely a reality that's yeah. being faced by a lot of people around the world. Um, and then also because of the in, in high level, the, the increase in level, the, um, the salt water has kind of started to infiltrate the areas where they've been trying to grow food. They've, they've been living there, you know, they say for about 600 years, and their, their subsistence has been mostly around, um, you know, fishing and also agriculture that they have on these islands. So basically they're unable to grow food. They have been for a while now because of the, the salination of the land base that they were growing on. So their food, and then they've, they kind of compensated by having ships come in twice a year to bring supplies to make up for the shortfall, but those ships can no longer actually get in very easily and have a couple of run aground because of the tides and because of the shifts um, as a result. So essentially they've been faced with this reality where one of the islands is split in half because of the, the sea level rise and they're looking at another 15 years before the majority of the islands are essentially unlivable. Mm -hmm. Okay, and you working on a documentary about this? Like this visit was part of a documentary you're working on? Yeah. So what is it? Um, what the project is is um, through an organization called Climate Wise Women, and this is a group of women that are um, have been sort of brought together by uh, a woman in New York who has come to know women that are on the front lines of climate change disruption. So these are people who are dealing with a really immediate impact, whether it's been uh, ongoing drought issues or sea level rise or erosion issues, but essentially in scenarios that are um, emergency scenarios for them. And so these are women leaders in those communities who basically come together as a group um, for two purposes. One, to advocate as a group in uh, for policy changes. So they go 
as a group often to the main climate conferences, kind of to be the voice of conscience and to be the voice of immediate reality and, and saying that we're not talking about future scenarios, that these are current um, and very real realities that we're facing. Um, and also to advocate for um, a sense of global responsibility for people who are going to be actually more impacted on in the immediate level. And then they also are a support to each other because they're all dealing with very similar scenarios in that in, in sort of like the immediacy of, of what they have in front of them. So, so they're they're a group that have formed. Um, they're very powerful, very dynamic, very resilient women, and they're um, they're you know working hard in their communities. But the film is essentially about them working where they're from and together. So when we went to this community, um, there was a couple of the women from the group, from other areas that came with us, from women from the Maldives as well. Um, and a woman from Uganda that's supposed, that was supposed to come but had a hard time getting a visa. is unfortunately a reality for, for some people. So the documentary is about, basically about Climate Wise Women, the organization and the work that they do? And, and yeah, and, and where, like, where the women are from and what, you know, what they're saying to the world, which is really, you know, like this, this idea, this, this idea of trying to come up with global targets is, you know, it's important work, but people need to recognize that there, there are going to be increasing numbers of people displaced. Um, and then there have been a number of low-lying oceans, you know, low-lying Pacific Islands that, that are already, you know, in, in the process of having to relocate. And there hasn't been a global kind of, um, you know, people are talking about trying to get the targets down for climate emissions, but what about funds for, you know, actually dealing with people who are having to relocate and move? Um, Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's very clear that these women are saying, and that we got the message from from the community, was they don't they don't really use a lot of carbon intensive you know energy. They they are essentially living a fairly simple life, and and yet they're the first ones that have to leave. And so they're saying, you know, our responsibility as people who are responsible for most of the emissions is really to tar- to really take a hard look at what what do we need to do, you know. Not just to lower our own emissions, but to help compensate people who are already impacted. Claudia, um, thanks so much for bringing attention to this issue to, to um, I mean, people outside of their you know local area. So we actually know what's you know what we're doing yes, and, what's um, happening, and what's happening to them. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, and and they're actually uh, there. I think there's about ten communities in Canada that are also facing similar scenarios where they're where they're living is going to be essentially unlivable in the very short term. Um, uh, so this isn't just about places far away, it's, it's places around us. And often they're indigenous communities, right? They're places that are, you know, deeply connected to the land and their traditions around the land and, and water. So, well, th- thank, yes, thank you so much for speaking to us today, Claudia. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Okay, All right, thank you. bye-bye. Okay. And that, of course, was local filmmaker Claudia Medina. Who's just come back from Papua New Guinea? Yeah. I meant to ask her when her, I know, her documentary is going to come out because I, I really want to see it. Um, you know, it, we're kind of talking about a depressing topic today, but it's reality, right? And that's yeah. I think up until now um, we all kind of know we're affecting the climate, um, you know, but we're really not adapting to it yet. And you know, we can be still mitigating some. It's not real enough for us yet. No. Unlike the people of Papua New Guinea who are having their farmland being flooded up by salt 
right. seawater. And, and there are things we can do, like yeah. to, uh, uh, like the guy Trevor said. Um, you yeah. know, they're looking at different models, but if we cut emissions by a significant amount now, I mean, that will definitely change what happens in 20 years. Or at least slow it down. Yeah, so... Well, moving on, yes, um, moving we've got on. a guest in the studio, and he came all the way from Texada to come and play, and his name is Bob Mills, and thank you so much. Yeah. He's just going to run out and get his guitar. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and I, I said the name wrong. Um, it's Bob. Hillbilly Bob and the Media Sluts. So, we're getting edgy. We are. Aren't we getting edgy in our old age? It's another mistake. It's Hillbilly Bob. Okay. Hilly Bob. Hilly Bob. Bob. Last name, Billy Bob. First name, Hill. Okay. <laughs> All right. So he literally just called us this week and said, I've got the song and I want to play it on the radio. So we said, yes, please come in. So we've never even met before today. Um, so. And thanks for braving the Southwester to come on the ferry over here just to play for us. No problem. Thank you for having me here. And do you want to just grab the mic and uh, yeah. maybe say your name, what the song's called, and then we'll, we'll yeah. play the song? Yeah, uh, the name of this song, uh, my name is Hill, Billy Bob, first name Hill, last name Billy Bob, and the name of this song is God Left America. Okay, thank you. God left America, the home of the brave, he left right when Donald took over the USA. God left America, he just could not be in a place or a state where he could not be free. God left America, they'll have to change their coin. They can't leave it the way it was or else they will boin. God left America, could this be the end? Will it ever be the way it used to be? The land of the free and the home of the brave All the things they had to do to make it that way The land of the free and the home of the brave But now everyone just seems to be slaves How could this come to be A land that was so free now it's owned by just one man and he paid quite a price you'll see but this is not the end of his crazy plan he will buy another term and you're fired all across the land and when his dictator ships up he will move away to any place where he can play a king for a day. God left America, the home of the brave. He left right when Donald took over the USA. He left America, he just could not be in a land or a state where he could not be free. God left America God left America God left America Yay. Way to go, Donnie! Well, thanks for coming in. Um, can you just tell us a bit about yourself? Why did you plant, choose to sing about Donald Trump? 
America. Uh, well, actually, Tony Jaw, Tony Jaw, are you listening? This is their um, theme song for your new movie with Steven Spielberg. Okay, sounds good. All right, well, we've only got a few minutes left, so to uh, end the show, we're going to play um, just the Arts Weekend news coming up, and then we'll listen to Rabbit Eye and the live lineup on Friday. And you were listening to CJMP Community Radio. Welcome back to Coastal Color. I'm Rabbit Eye for CJMP News. This is Powerverse Arts News for this week and a little bit beyond the December 2nd edition. There's a gingerbread contest going on at the Town Center Hotel. Submit your gingerbread entry before Saturday, December 3rd. They'll be on display all December long, and there are prizes to win there as well. The Gift of the Letterpress workshop is happening on two separate days. There's one group on Friday, December 2nd, and Saturday, December 3rd from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. It is free, and location is in Cranberry, but to be announced, if you are interested last minute call 604-485-8664 or email mmerlino at powerriverlibrary.ca the film trolls in 3d and 2d is happening at the patricia theater friday december 2nd to friday december 9th 7 p.m nightly in 3d and 1 30 p.m weekend matinees in 2d there's a christmas concert and wassail on friday december 2nd at 7 30 p.m at the evergreen theater recreation complex the international day of persons with disabilities film festival happens at gene pike center for inclusion or the arc theater 7055 Alberni Street on Saturday, December 3rd at 2.30 p.m. There's a $5 fee. There's a Food Bank's Dickens Banquet happening on Saturday, December 3rd at $45 plus a bag of groceries. Tickets and reservations 604-483-9775. This happens at Dwight Hall in Powell River Town Site. The evening includes buffet dinner, Christmas trivia, body holly, dance band, late night snack bar, and ride programs. Ticket proceeds go to the Food Bank. All aboard for the Polar Express holiday production happens on Saturday and Sunday, December 3rd and 4th. The Saturday time is 6 p.m. Sunday is 2 p.m. Kids and grandparents, $8. Adults, $15. This happens at the Evergreen Theater at the Recreation Complex. Grab a golden ticket and climb aboard the Polar Express and experience the trip for yourself. Look out the window as the journey begins and watch what happens. Tickets can be purchased at the Sheridan Dance Academy and at the door. Come early to have your photo taken with Santa. There's an event called Fondue with DJ Lalu happening on Saturday, December 3rd at 8 p.m. There's no cover. This happens at the Sugar Vault, 6871 Joyce Avenue, number 105, formerly Kane's Bistro, DJ Lalu, a.k.a. Cecil Brooks with Delight with Sounds and a taste selection of items to dip your cheese fondue. Soon on display, the 8-Bite Anonymous Art Show goes on at the Pop-Up Library. Times and dates to be announced. Pop-Up Library is open Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. just above the new library location under construction at Crossroads Village Mall. Browse the library book collection and view and buy original art for $88 each. Proceeds going to the new library book fund. In terms of live theater, there is Oh Christmas Tea with award-winning comedy duo James and Jamesy from the UK. Tuesday, December 6th, 7.30 p.m. at the Max Cameron Theatre at Brooks High School. Adults, $26. Seniors, $24. People younger than 18 pay $15. And groups of 10 or more, $22 each. Buy your tickets at jamesandjamesy.com. This is for fans of Monty Python, Mr. Bean, and Dr. Seuss. Grab your teacups. London's three-time impresario award-winning comedians James and Jamesy present their outrageously funny and brilliantly inventive Christmas comedy Oh Christmas Tea. Dr. Strange in 3D and 2D happening at the Patricia Theatre. The film is action, adventure, and sci-fi and fantasy. This happens Friday, December 9th to Thursday, December 15th, 7 p.m. nightly and 1.30 p.m. weekend matinees in 2D. Carol's by Candlelight happen at Dwight Hall Friday and Saturday, December 9th and 10th. You can buy tickets at the Academy of Music. There are life drawing sessions every Tuesday, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at the Power River Academy of Music. It's $10. It's drop-in. If you'd like to be a model, they pay $40 for two hours. Call 604 483 
or email royart at telus.net. Bluesbusters Ron C. and Bluesbusters Jam Session happens every Wednesday at 8 p.m. at Town Center Hotels. TC's Pub, 8 p.m. There's no cover. Malaspina Art Society Group Show, Women and Water, goes on with works for sale as well until December 21st during the opening hours at VIU, Vancouver Island University, Powell River Campus Foyer. There's a live stage play called Robin Hood and the Babes in the Woods. The play happens December 9th, 10th, 11th, and 16th, 17th, and 18th. Fridays and Saturdays at 7 p.m., Sundays at 1.30 p.m. This happens at the Recreation Complex at Green Theatre. There's an art show called Transmission, new works by Autumn Sky Morrison, Thursday, December 15th to Sunday, December 18th at 4712 Marine Avenue, featuring original painting sculptures and pop-up shop of new products and inspiring gifts. There's an annual community Christmas carol sing-along with Santa and Mrs. Claus with song leader Roberta Pearson, Sunday, December 18th at 2 p.m. at the Patricia Theatre. Admission is by donation. Also, organist Jim Dixon will be playing the new theatre organ. There's a call for artists for the Expose Yourself, which is an erotically themed multidisciplinary art exhibition. Deadline for visual art and digital gallery submission is Saturday, January 21st, 2017 at midnight. And you can email E-Y-E-X-H-I-B-I-T-I-O-N at gmail.com. And that is it for this week's Coastal Color. We'll see you next week. Back to CJMP News. I'm Rabbit Eye. Thank you to Rabbit Eye for the weekly news roundup. And stay tuned to hear... 1,000.